From Washington, D.C., this is On the Ground. Who would have thought that 58 years later we would be fighting for the same exact thing? 58 years later. Because when you're in this country and you're fighting for justice and equality, particularly racial justice, the fight is literally every second of every day, of every week, of every year of our lives. This was never about Donald Trump for us. This was about ending fascist policies and the targeting of black and brown and poor communities in the United States of America. Let me tell you guys real quick, voting rights and workers' rights are one and the same. We need to make sure that we have a livable wage, 15 and beyond. We need to make sure that workers have the right to have a real future in this country. Welcome to On the Ground, onthegroundshow.org, Voices of Resistance from the nation's capital. I'm Esther Ivarum. A summer of activism here in D.C., protests for voting rights, for housing, for a living wage, for climate policy, for the right to tell the truth about Black history and be protected from police terror, culminated in a sense on August 28th in a day of actions, including the Make Good Trouble rally, which brought together a coalition of organizations on the 58th anniversary of the 1963 March on Washington for Jobs and Freedom. Speakers reminded the executive branch and Democrats in Congress that, by their calculation at least, Black voters sealed the deal in 2020, sending Joe Biden to the White House and delivering slim majorities in the House and Senate. Yet a series of bills that would have addressed various campaign promises critical to the Black community have stalled in the Senate, where Democrats have not coalesced to do away with the filibuster, which forces the current Democratic majority to get 60 votes rather than a simple majority to pass anything other than budget-related items. Many have proposed that the filibuster, a Jim Crow relic used to block a myriad of civil rights and progressive laws, be ignored for voting rights legislation. But at least two Democratic senators, Joe Manchin of West Virginia and Kirsten Sinema of Arizona, have been the most prominent objectors to ending the filibuster to even accomplish the stated goals and policies of their own party. For most of the show, we'll hear some voices speaking out at the Make Good Trouble rally. But first, our headlines. This week, an estimated 35 to 39 million people were cut off from federal pandemic unemployment benefit programs that were allowed to expire, ironically, on Labor Day. 7.5 million individuals lost their benefits entirely, and another 3 million lost a $300 weekly supplement to their small state unemployment benefit. Economists are describing this cutoff as a cliff for workers who still don't have jobs and no doubt are some of the same workers impacted by the eviction moratorium being struck down by the Supreme Court at the same time that prices are steadily rising for fuel and food. In addition, there are still 6.5 million fewer jobs than before the pandemic, 
And of course, the latest jobs report showed only one third of the jobs created that the Biden administration expected. According to the think tank, the Century Foundation, these unemployment programs delivered nearly $800 billion in assistance to families over the course of the pandemic. And economists say that cutting off benefits now as the Delta variant is surging is a threat to both workers and the overall economy. Economist Richard Wolf told Brian Becker on the Socialist Program this week how deportations and blocked immigration of undocumented workers factor into the current crisis. It's an attempt to say, we're not going to help you anymore. We don't care how desperate you are. We're going to give you only one way to get enough money to live, and that's to accept the jobs and the conditions we used to impose on undocumented immigrants, but they're not available in the numbers we once had, so it's your next. The Chamber of Commerce has to have exploited workers. On Thursday, President Biden also announced new rules that would require two-thirds of American workers to be vaccinated against the coronavirus. Healthcare workers, federal contractors, and most federal workers are included in the new rules. Private companies with more than 100 employees must require them to be vaccinated or to complete weekly testing. The new rule is welcomed by many healthcare officials, but is expected to face legal challenges. On Thursday, Biden's Department of Justice also announced that it is suing the state of Texas because it says the new state ban on abortion is unconstitutional. The law only allows abortion up to six weeks after conception when many women do not even realize they are pregnant. The law also allows any citizen to sue a neighbor or doctor for getting an abortion or performing an abortion or for assisting anyone in receiving the procedure. There are three important updates about victories related to last year's uprising against racism. Jackie Johnson, former district attorney for Brunswick, Georgia, turned herself in Wednesday after being indicted on charges that she violated her oath of office and obstructed police in her handling of last year's shooting death of Ahmaud Arbery. The indictment says that Johnson showed favor and affection to suspect Greg McMichael, who previously worked with her as an investigator. The indictment also says that Johnson failed to treat Ahmaud Arbery and his family fairly and with dignity when she started the process of recusing herself and handing off the case to at least two other prosecutors. In the meantime, suspects Greg and Travis McMichael were allowed by police and prosecutors to walk free for more than two months before they were arrested. A third man, William Bryan, who shot the video of the murder, which went viral on social media, was also arrested last May four days before George Floyd was murdered in Minneapolis. All three men are charged with murder. Ahmad was jogging near Brunswick, Georgia on February 23, 2020, when he was shot and killed. Police, Johnson, and other law enforcement officials claimed that the Travises were making a citizen's arrest for an alleged burglary, though no proof was ever given of a burglary, and Ahmad, a 25-year-old aspiring home contractor, was unarmed. Also, the Aurora, Colorado police officers and paramedics involved in the killing of Elijah McClain have been indicted in his death. Officers Nathan Woodyard, Randy Rodima, and Jason Rosenblatt 
and paramedics Jeremy Cooper and Peter Chikuniak each face one count of manslaughter and one count of criminally negligent homicide, in addition to other charges. The indictments come two years after McLean's killing as a result of a prolonged struggle for justice by Black Lives Matter organizers. Elijah is a 23-year-old musician and massage therapist who in August 2019 was tackled and choked by Aurora, Colorado police before paramedics injected him with an overdose of the powerful sedative ketamine. Elijah suffered a massive heart attack on the way to the hospital where he was declared brain dead and then taken off life support six days later. There was renewed attention to his case last year during protests against racism after the murder of George Floyd. Elijah's mother, Shanine McLean, told the local Fox affiliate that the indictments have improved her peace of mind. I'm grateful to Attorney General Weiser and his team. I'm grateful to the grand jury for sitting through all that evidence because it was hard for me to, to watch as his mom, but I'm grateful for their, for their efforts and their findings. Moving forward, law enforcement and paramedics are going to have to be more humane to people because Elijah believed in humanity. He respected them in ways that they didn't even give him credit for, you know. He had more humanity in his finger than they had in their whole body. So it's important that law enforcement and the paramedics do better jobs. Until now, the only people arrested in connection with McLean's death have been Black Lives Matter activists who organized those successful peaceful protests and were hit with trumped-up charges that could have landed them in prison for up to 50 years. But after a national campaign, the charges have since been dropped. More about the case is posted at denverdefense.org. And two hours south of here in Richmond, Virginia, the statue of Confederate General Robert E. Lee was removed Wednesday from its pedestal on Monument Avenue after years of grassroots organizing and legislative and legal battles. After the deadly street attacks by white supremacists in Charlottesville, Virginia in 2017 to protest the removal of a Lee statue, and after last year's uprising against racism, Richmond is one of many cities that did remove Confederate statues. Lee's statue was the only one remaining in the city, except for one located far away from downtown in northern Richmond, and that one is also slated for removal. Here in D.C., Chantel James is covering a new controversial fatal shooting by the police. Antoine Gilmore, say his name! Antoine Gilmore! Say his name! Antoine Gilmore! Say his name! Antoine Gilmore! George Watson, say his name! George Watson! Say his name! George Watson! Say his name! George Watson! On Friday, September 3rd, hundreds gathered for the second protest of the recent police killing of D.C. resident Antoine Gilmore, who was shot 10 times and killed while sleeping in his car on August 25th. This time, they also gathered to stand up for the life of George Watson, killed by police on August 31st. Before a march through the streets at twilight, organizers from Black Lives Matter D.C. spoke to the crowd. We talked to Stop Police terror organizer Sean Blackman about the death of Antoine Gilmore and the impetus for the protest. Yep. We're out here today um, <laughs> demanding justice for uh, 27-year-old Antoine Gilmore, who was killed 
by DC police, a sergeant by the name of Ennis uh, Jervik is the officer. According to reports, uh, police got a call about someone who was unconscious in their car. And so instead of sending in an ambulance, they sent police, like multiple police. And so when the police arrived and found Antoine sleeping in his car, they say that they noted a weapon on his hip. And so at one point, Antoine awoken and I believe tried to move his car. And at that point, Jervik fired 10 shots at him and uh, killing him in the process. And so, I mean, over the last couple of weeks, I mean, at least uh, four people have been killed by D.C. police. And we're also here uh, demanding justice for George Watson, who was killed just the other day by D.C. police as well. And so in terms of Antoine Gilmore and the demands, uh, the family is demanding, number one, that there be an independent investigation into the shooting. And they stress the point of it being independent because they know as well as anyone that when the police investigate themselves, more oftentimes than not, they find themselves not guilty, right? Mm -hmm. Although it's interesting because even police chief Conti acknowledged that they uh, broke with protocol by firing at a moving weapon. They're not supposed to do that. So, I mean, they acknowledge that part of it, but yet and still, we have no reason to have any faith in the D.C. police to sort of, you know, objectively investigate themselves. So they want an, uh, an independent investigation. And they also want not just a, a conviction and a charge, but they, they want this uh, policeman to be jailed for what he did to Antoine. Just like anybody else. If you or me shot at someone 10 times and killed them, you know what I mean? It, it, it wouldn't be some... Uh, you know, walk in the park in, in the courtroom. We'd have the book thrown at us, and rightfully so, because, you know, that's a brutal way to kill someone. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? And so we don't believe that the police should be a protected class. From Northeast D.C. for On the Ground, this is Chantal James. In climate news, five days after Hurricane Ida first struck Louisiana and caused deadly flooding in the Northeast, many Louisiana communities are still without power. In the Gulf of Mexico, an 18-mile oil spill is believed to have been unleashed from an abandoned pipe that still had oil inside it, which points to the lack of cleanup required by oil and gas companies that are polluting the Gulf and the stretch of Louisiana known as Cancer Alley. Meanwhile, activists in Louisiana and Mississippi, including Kali Akuno, co-founder of Cooperation Jackson, and Stephen Bradbury, executive director at the Alliance Institute in New Orleans, are linking relief efforts to political demands. They want to avoid the disaster capitalist exploitation of the poor and haphazard treatment of evacuees, which occurred after Hurricane Katrina in 2005. They have posted a petition at change.org addressed to President Biden, titled Hurricane Ida, Achieving a Just Human Rights-Centered Recovery. It calls for utilizing the United Nations Human Rights Commission regulations governing internally displaced persons. Unlike the Katrina plan, this proposal stipulates that all evacuations must include a plan for citizens to return, and there must be rules to maintain family connections with no breaking up of families. The complete list of proposals and contact information are on the change.org petition titled Hurricane Ida, Achieving a Just Human Rights-Centered Recovery. 
Meanwhile, areas of the Northeast where dozens of people were killed by flooding are still impacted by high water. Michelle Roberts, on the ground's environmental justice contributor, reports from Delaware that no state of emergency has been called for areas such as Wilmington, leaving residents impacted by flooding and other damages with anxiety and many questions about their recovery. A broad range of financial assistance is available from FEMA for people affected by Hurricane Ida, covering everything from food to hotel rooms to roof tarps and childcare costs. Online, go to disasterassistance.gov or call 1-800-621-3362 for more information. That's 1-800-621-3362 or online, go to disasterassistance.gov. That's dot G-O-V. And finally, in culture and media, as we go to broadcast, the Reverend William Barber and the Poor People's Campaign is joining activists of the Bethesda African Cemetery Coalition in Maryland to call on Montgomery County officials to return land containing the remains of an historic black cemetery to the original stewards of the land, the Macedonia Baptist Church. The rally is 11 a.m. outside Macedonia at 5119 River Road in Bethesda, Maryland, and will be live streamed. And for those listening to this show afterward, it will also be archived on the Facebook page of the Maryland Poor People's Campaign, a national call for moral revival. And finally, there will be a virtual 40-day tribute to the anthropologist and historian Renoko Rashidi, on Saturday, September 11th, 2021, 6 to 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Registration information is at the Appeal Inc. page on Facebook or at appealinc.org. That's A-P-P-E-A-L-I-N-C dot O-R-G. And those are headlines and happenings. Stay with us.
from Brooklyn, New York. I make trouble every day with the great people at Until Freedom. I make good trouble every day with Empower Change, which is the largest Muslim-led social justice organization in the United States of America. And we are here because it is a hot summer. I know it's hot out here, folks, but 58 years ago, people stood on this very lawn and it was hot. And there are people who sacrificed for us to be here today. What we will not do is allow those in power to take our voting rights from us today. People will say, does voting matter? Does my vote matter? If your vote didn't matter, they wouldn't be trying to take your vote away from you. And we are here to tell both Democrats and Republicans, you work for us, you work for the American people. We do not work for you. And more specifically to the Democratic Party, it was abolitionists who were knocking doors in Georgia. It was immigrant rights activists on the streets of Virginia and Pennsylvania and in Michigan. So when you tell us that you don't want us to say defund the police or abolish ICE, know what you're saying is that you don't stand with those that helped elect you to the offices that you hold. We are not tired. This was a family reunion of frontline organizers. We've been in out the entire summer getting arrested. Some of us got arrested at least a dozen times just since January of this year. This was never about Donald Trump for us. This was about ending fascist policies and the targeting of black and brown and poor communities in the United States of America. So let's to be clear, we are not loyal to political parties. We are loyal to the communities that we come from. And I will end by saying that let history record that Muslim Americans were at the front lines of justice for all communities. What we need in this moment is courage. We need you to be unapologetic. We need you to come to the front lines. We need you to give up just like those before you gave up everything so that you can stand here today at the Lincoln Memorial and put your fist in the air and say justice for all. Peace and blessings be upon all of you. Give it up for Linda Sarsour, y'all. No justice. No justice. No justice. No justice. And if they don't get no, if we don't get no justice, then they don't get no damn peace. My name is Tamika Danielle Mallory, and I am one of the four co-founders of Until Freedom. Let's give Until Freedom some love today, along with all the other organizations that dare to call a march on this day, to call a rally and ask you all to be here, and you keep coming 58 years later. The baton has been passed and we will not drop it. We will continue to fight. There was one family that was here today, but because of the health concerns of one sister, they had to leave in this heat, but we must, must, pay homage to and give honor to our sister Atatiana Jefferson, whose life was taken too soon in Dallas, Texas. Her sisters Amber and Ashley were with us today. Let's give them some love for continuing to fight for Atatiana Jefferson.
Now, there are many reasons why people have gathered here in Washington, D.C. today. All over Washington, people have been standing up for justice. Some wanted to honor the legacy of our great leaders, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., A. Philip Randolph, Dr. Dorothy Irene Height, and others, and of course, Congressman John Lewis, who told us to get into good trouble. So some came to commemorate. Others came to hear speakers because they wanted to be inspired. Some of you are frustrated with the political process. Some have the Republican leadership on their grievance list because of the intentional obstruction of justice by that party. Some have particular people within the, the Republican Party on their list of folks they want to fight. Those who day in and day out work to enhance the lives of the rich and famous and to decrease the quality of life for black and brown people. Those who are working hard to take away our right to vote because they know that if we ever recognize our power at the polls, we can shut this whole damn thing down. And while today is a nonpartisan rally, and we are not here to solicit any support for any party or particular candidate, I want you all to know why I personally came to Washington, D.C. today. I want you to know why Until Freedom decided to be a part of this great coalition so that we could call this rally today. Sure, we will continue to protest Mitch McConnell and his followers, like the Kentucky Attorney General Daniel Cameron, who should be charged criminally for what he did to Breonna Taylor and her family. Sure, we will continue to call Tim Scott out for faking like he loves black people but standing against us on every single turn. Sure, we will stand up to Marjorie Taylor Greene and tell her she better get out of Cori Bush's face. Respect black women and know where you learned all that you know from. It came from us. Black mothers fed your babies. Bow down. But for the purpose of today, I didn't come to talk to the Republicans because I didn't vote for them. I don't donate to their campaigns and I haven't helped any of their candidates win an election. I came here with a letter to the Democratic Party. I want to talk to the Democrats today. You see, I remembered Fannie Lou Hamer's words when she said, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. 94% of black women continue in an abusive relationship with the Democratic Party. We are trapped in an abusive relationship. You keep on lying to us and telling us to work hard, to fight for you, to stand with you. And when it's time for you to be courageous and bold and stand up for us, we can't find you. You wiggle and you waver. We are sick and tired of being sick and tired. We are sick and tired of you coming to us with excuse after excuse. Now the filibuster is in our way. We are sick and tired of our children being targets of police violence while Senator Cory Booker jokes about defunding the police, which might be the only thing that will save our lives. We are sick and tired of having to fight this same fight over and over again for our right to vote. This has been going on too long. Enough is enough. 
So we have come to tell the Democrats that we are sick and tired of you as well. Stop pointing at others and telling us to look at them. No, we're looking at you. Our people have been too committed to your party and we have not received justice and you have not done your job on our behalf. Chuck Schumer, you may have position, but the people have the power. Do your job. Nancy Pelosi, you may be in position, but the people have the power. President Biden, you may be in position today, but remember what you promised us. Remember who carried you. Vice President Harris, you need to know I voted for you. I didn't vote for a 70-year-old white man. I went to the polls and I voted for you. Your promise to me is why I voted. Know that black people as you stand here, frustrated. You don't know what to do. You don't know where to go. We are tired and you got every damn right to tell me that I'm out of my mind when I ask you to vote for any of these individuals. But know that we have the power. You see, the bus driver in Montgomery, Alabama was in position, but Rosa Parks had the power. You see, the slave owners had position, but Harriet Tubman had the power. We have the power, people, if we unify and we stand together. There is nothing that they can do. Let's be intentional when we leave this space of not working separately, of not looking at who can do what better, but of look, looking at the way in which if we come together, we can shift this entire nation. I'm tired, but I won't stop. 58 years later, I know that the baton has been passed to me, whether you like it or not, whether you like me or not. Doesn't matter if you want to be my friend. I got the baton and I'm going to lead. And you know what? We all together, if we stand, we can win. God bless you, brothers and sisters. Go back to where you came from and cause hell and make good trouble. God bless you. Go in peace. You are listening to speakers at the Good Trouble Rally held August 28th and the Lincoln Memorial by a coalition of groups organized by the collective Until Freedom. This is On the Ground. I'm Esther Averam. Stay with us. Welcome to the whitest house. Slave souls haunt the halls when the light is out. They suck the blood of the poor and don't wipe their mouth. The last gas of a world that is dying out. Welcome to the whitest house, where every room is a tomb that they lie about. Where you can put your filthy feet on the finest couch. And for the right amount, you can even buy it out. White power, white pride, white privilege. Whites maintain all their rights when whites pillage. White lies, white tears, and white feelings. White supremacy in the White House, the whitest building, ironically, in the place they call Chocolate City. Now all you see is a vanilla sky. That shit don't kill your vibe. Turn on the news for the realest lies. Damn, that is just sadder than when children cry. 45 made them wanna grab a 45. Nazis, what is this, 1945? Progressive white, so horrified. Black people, like we tried to tell y'all, you ignored the signs. Trudeau, I need a visa, please order mine. Or my Chicano peeps can sneak me through the borderline. That slogan on that red hat was so popular. Who knew it meant marching with torches and waving swastikas? Welcome to the whitest house. 
slave souls off the halls when the light is out. They suck the blood of the poor and don't wipe their mouth. The last gas of a world that is dying out. Welcome to the whitest house, where every room is a tomb that they lie about. Where you can put your filthy feet on the finest couch. And for the right amount, you can even buy it out. So when the anthem plays, I'ma sit next to Colin Kaepernick and Marshawn Lynch. Shout out to all my Africans. Descendants of those victims of slave trafficking. The men that captured them, they built statues to champion. And what religion were they practicing? Burning crosses in the Oval Office. Why Amarosa and Ben Carson defend racists in the same place Lincoln signed the Emancipation Proclamation? White minds with black faces. A nation indoctrinated in hatred in need of an operation. Approval rating less than one third of the population who took out their hoods so their identity's not mistaken. America's greatness, we not debating. Her history of murder and raping, we not debating. Kill Mexicans, kill blacks, and kill natives. Cause a real American can only be Caucasian. Welcome to the whitest house. Slave souls haunt the halls when the light is out. They suck the blood of the poor and don't wipe their mouth. The last gas The Reverend Dr. Liz Theo Harris and the Reverend Dr. William J. Barber II. Hear ye them. Hello, Washington, D.C. Hello, these yet-to-be United States of America. My name is Reverend Dr. Liz Theo Harris, and I am the proud co-chair of the Poor People's Campaign, a national call for moral revival. And we are standing here strong from West Virginia to Texas, from Pennsylvania to New York, North Carolina to California. As Reverend Dr. King said, there comes a time when we must sound the alarm. From these very steps, 58 years ago, he implored the nation, we have come to this hallowed spot to remind America of the fierce urgency of now. There is no time to engage in the luxury of cooling off or take the tranquilizing drug of gradualism. Now is the time to make real the promises of democracy. And in a nation, the richest nation in human history that has 140 million people who are poor, or one healthcare crisis, one job loss, one health, one storm away from economic ruin, we indeed must sound the alarm. When because of the gutting of the Voting Rights Act, we have fewer voting rights today than 56 years ago, we must not cool off. When climate crisis is wreaking havoc, on the lives and livelihoods of people all over this world, when there's a Supreme Court, an unconstitutionally constituted Supreme Court, they can overturn a moratorium on evictions, we must protest. We must rally. We must organize and mobilize and sit in and stand up, not just for a day, not just for a summer, but until all people are housed, until all people are fed, until all people earn a living wage, when our 
survive. We're living in a time of crisis when the foundations of injustice and racism and poverty are crumbling and a fusion movement of people coming together across all the lines that divide us is breaking through and building power. It's times like these when throughout history, prophets have to arise to sound the alarm to cry out, somebody is hurting our people. Somebody is evicting our families. Somebody is suppressing our votes. But we won't be silent anymore. I want to introduce two uh, sound alarms that are here with us from Unite here today, sounding the alarm on the injustice that does not have to be as we move forward together, not one step back. Hello, everyone. My name is Patricia Namialo, and I'm a waitress at your tail and a member of Unite Here Local 25, which stands for Respect, Rights, and Progress. I immigrated from Uganda over 20 years ago, and I have always had to fight my way to make, to make it in this country. Thanks to my union, Unite Here Local 25, I am powerful, workers are powerful, I now can advocate for myself, my workers, and my nine-year-old daughter, so she will have a path to walk on and move forward with. Together, we can create a path not just for this generation, but for a generation yet born by pushing for a livable wage, fight for 15. We need to push for leaders that respect the rights of all people and workers by voting leaders that are progressive. We will continue to expand and protect workers' rights. Behold the power of a people united. All right, good afternoon, everybody. My name is Josh Armstead. I am the vice president of Unite Here Local 23 here in D.C. I grew up in this city. I know what it means to struggle in the richest nation on earth. That's why I joined the union. That's why I wanted to better myself and my community. Let me tell you guys real quick. Voting rights and workers' rights are one and the same. We need to make sure that we have a livable wage. 15 and beyond, we need to make sure that workers have the right to have a real future in this country. Voting rights, workers' rights, one and the same together. We need to keep on moving. We need to keep on marching. Thank you. My brothers and sisters, 58 years ago, a preacher from Georgia stood on these steps and declared, in the face of racism and economic justice, a nightmare. A nightmare that was lengthened by congressional and state filibustering. He said that day, I have a dream that one day down in Alabama, with his vicious racists, with his governor's lips dripping with the words of interposition and nullification, one day right there in Alabama, little black boys and black girls will be able to join hands with little white boys and white girls as sisters and brothers. He also said on behalf of the people that day 
we can't be satisfied and we will not be satisfied. His dream was not an abstract dream, but a concrete hope rooted in a, a demand for jobs and living wages and voting rights. In fact, the march that day was the march for jobs and justice. He wanted his children and all children and another generation to come to know the best that was possible in this nation. Now that was 58 years ago, but still today we can't be satisfied. And we would do well to remember that the legal basis for the very personal source of Dr. King's agony as he stood here that day and first told America about the nightmare, all of that came from state legislatures passing bad laws from the bottom up. The constitutional and moral crisis we face today is the direct result of forces in state legislatures that have organized to push back against the progressive voice and power in this country. It is not just an attack on black people. It is an attack on justice and the progressive voice in this nation. And this, and this attack is allowed because we don't have sufficient federal protections. We still have actors in state legislatures in 49 states, and too many of them are succeeding in suppressing the vote and blocking living wages and blocking police reform and blocking health care and blocking education. And so we are not gathered here just to commemorate. In fact, I would dare say we don't need another commemoration. We need a recommitment. We need a reconsecration. We're not here just for something that happened a long time ago. No, no, we're not here just to have a day. We are here today to continue the work of our foreparents to expand democracy until we are one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. In fact, we cannot reduce our movements to single issue protests. And anybody that tries to lead you on a single issue protest is a misleader and not a leader. Our issues are as complicated as our blood system and our nervous system in our bodies. And so we're here today. We've come together from many corners to lay out a vision, demand action to address the interlocking injustices and the interlocking evils of systemic racism, systemic poverty, ecological devastation, the war economy, and the false moral narrative of Christian nationalism. So we declare and we demand that if we pass the For the People's Act and the Voting Rights Restoration Act, we could stop James Crow Esquire and Jean Crow Esquire. Laws that are designed to hurt black people and white people and brown people and native people and poor people and rural people and urban people and the, and the working people and the disabled. We could institute elections that would be fair and full. We could make sure that everybody, every eligible voter can vote. If we pass the For the People's Act, all that they're doing in the states becomes illegal immediately. If we pass the Voting Rights Act restoration, then they have to go through preclearance. If we end the filibuster, we could do it all and do it all right now. If we instituted a $15 minimum wage, living wage, we could raise 32 million people out of poverty and low wealth immediately. 
and pump $328 billion into the economy immediately. If we pass a full inhumane economic budget and infrastructure plan, we can end poverty and low wages from the bottom up. If we had put the $6.4 trillion we have poured into endless wars since 9-11, if we had put it into green energy, we could have built a renewable energy across this country and infrastructure with mere trillions of dollars to spare. If we stop housing evictions, we can prevent millions from being thrown out in the street. If we restored the corporate tax rate to what it was before Trump, we could raise $130 billion and provide early childcare and education for every child in this country. And we can do it. We can do it. We have to make this nation face its moral crisis. We have to make this nation ask the question, what does it profit America to hold on to a filibuster and get a limited infrastructure bill and lose the soul and the infrastructure of our democracy? What does it profit America to hold on to an infrastructure and not lift 140 million Americans out of poverty and low wealth? And so it's time. It's time for a full moral movement to shift the moral narrative and build power, especially among the 140 million poor and low wealth people that now make up 30% of the electorate. This is the time. And it's not about Democrat. And it's not about Republican. It's not about left. It's not about right. right. It's about right versus wrong. Now is the time. And if I could borrow from Martin Luther King, Anybody who tries to criticize these demands and say they are somehow anti-American and wrong, well, if our demands for full justice are wrong, then the Constitution is wrong. If our demands are wrong, then the Bible is wrong when it says in Isaiah 10, woe unto those who legislate evil and rob the poor of their rights. If our demands are wrong, somebody better check Jesus because he said the nation would be judged. When I was hungry, did you feed me? When I was naked, did you clothe me? When I was in prison, did you see about me? When I was sick, did you heal me? But the truth is, Liz, our call for voting rights and living wages and police reform and health care and climate are not wrong. They are right. And they really are the only thing worth spending our lives for. If you're still alive in the, in the midst of COVID, then you ought to use every breath you have to change this nation. We made a decision in Afghanistan 20 years ago wrong because too many didn't have the courage to say no. We can't make that mistake now when it comes to saying no to those that want to take our country back. And if we don't do this work, I fear for this nation. But we will do it. We have to do it because we refuse to give up on the possibility of America. These demands of justice are non-negotiable and they cannot be watered down. There is no moderate position when it comes to justice. And that's why we come together. We work together 58 years ago. Black women weren't allowed on this stage. But 58 years later, they're leading this stage. 
58 years ago, they didn't have Latinos on this stage, but today they are. 58 years ago, there were no white main speakers, but today they are. There were no brothers and sisters from Appalachia and Alabama. There were no LGBTQ folk on the stage openly. There were no native and Asian, but today they are because we must come together. We must build a movement together. We all are being attacked by the same forces, Mark. The same people that are against black folk, are against Latino folk, are against women, are against gay people, are against Asians, are against voting rights, are against health care, are against living wages. And if they are cynical enough to be together, we got to be smart enough to come together. And so I close the day by saying there's power in coming together. During the slavery, it looked like slavery had won. But when Harriet Tubman and Frederick Douglass got together with some white Quakers and some white evangelicals like, like William Lord Garrison, they tore slavery down. Women didn't have the right to vote. But when Sojourner Truth, a black woman, got with Lucretia Mark, a white woman, they marched together in the streets of this city and they won the right to vote. It looked like monopolies would have the last word. But at the turn of the 20th century, when multiracial coalition decided it was time together, come together, white and black labor people came together and won labor laws. It looked like Jim Crow had beaten down injustice, but then Rosa Parks and Martin King and a gay guy named Bayard Ruster and a black woman named Fannie Lou and another brother named Bob Moses got together with white folk like Glenn Smiley and Jonathan Davis and Viola Lewusa and James Reed and they tore Jim Crow down. In the 19th century, when poor white farmers and formerly enslaved people got together, they built the first reconstruction, a fusion movement, and won the 14th, 15th amendments to the Constitution and the Civil Rights Act of 1875. And I must tell you, as I make my way to North Carolina, they told me I might never walk again. But when the prayer warriors got together, and the doctors got together, and my family got together, and, and my faith got together, and my swim coach got together, I can jump now. I can walk now. There's power when we come together. And so, y'all, let's come together. And if we come together, God will help us. The Spirit will help us. Tamika, the ancestors, will help us. And the whole nation will thank us. And generations yet born will call our name. Let's come together. Black and white and brown and native and Asian and young and old and gay and straight and Christian and Hindu and Muslim and Jewish and even persons who don't have a religious faith but they believe in the moral arc of the universe. Together until the poor are lifted. Together until the workers are paid. Together until the sick are healed. Lord, help me here. Together until voting is guaranteed. Together until unmerciful house evictions are stopped. Together. Until police killing is stopped. Together. Until land and water is not pausing. Together. Until war is not pushed and promoted and promulgated. Together. Until humanity is respected and children are protected and civil rights and labor rights and human rights are never neglected. Let us be together until these things are actualized. Let us never be satisfied. And if we come together, 
If we work non-violently together to change this nation, we will change it. And there will be something said about our work. When we all got together, what a day, what a day, what a day, what a day, what a day of justice it will be. When we all get together, what a day, what a day, what a day. The Reverend Dr. William J. Barber II and the Poor People's Campaign. This is the sacred space. Dr. King was headed back here in 1968 before he was taken from us. He was coming back here to build the Poor People's Campaign, to build Resurrection City. Give Reverend Barber another round of applause. Bishop Barber. And that will do it for today's show, which featured speakers at the Good Trouble Rally held August 28th at the Lincoln Memorial to make plain the demands of activists for action on voting rights, ongoing police terror, and other critical human rights issues. A coalition of groups participated, organized by the Collective Until Freedom. This is On the Ground, onthegroundshow.org, Voices of Resistance from the Nation's Capital. You can always check out all of our current and past shows on the website we maintain, onthegroundshow.org. And you can reach out to us and support us there as well. You can also like the show at On the Ground on Facebook and Twitter. And thank you to all of our supporters on patreon.com at On the Ground Show for your encouragement. Our podcast, On the Ground with Esther Averam, is also on all your podcast platforms. The new podcast, our social media pages, and website all have a protest sign with green lettering that says On the Ground. The music we play this hour included Lift Every Voice and Sing by The Black Alley, The Whitest House by Jaziri X, performed live at the Good Trouble Rally on August 28th at the Lincoln Memorial. And our theme music is Voodoo Child by Jimi Hendrix. I'm Esther Ivarum. Until next time, keep raising your voice. Peace. This is Esther Ivarum, producer and host of On the Ground, thanking you for listening and for being a part of our audience. And I'm asking you to please partner with us in keeping alive this independent grassroots news program from Washington, D.C. Your fully tax-deductible donation of as little as $3 a month will help us keep lifting up voices of activism and resistance to corporate power and corporate media. So please go to our page at patreon.com forward slash on the ground show that's patreon p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash on the ground show where we post the shows and bonus material or you can see all the ways to support including end of the year giving and paypal on our website which you know is on the ground show dot org thank you <laughs>